Good morning, brothers and sisters. I have a regret. I have probably several, but uh, we had a version of that song, A Mighty Fortress. I should have dragged it down here years ago because it was really a humdinging, sounded like a war song, you know what I mean? And uh, isn't that a great hymn for those of you who embrace it? And uh, it had a a great chorus where uh, one of our talented singers would kind of go, he's our God! Some of the older saints would look at me like, but all us young people loved it. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Did you catch some of the words? And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. Yeah, that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours with him who with us sideth. Awesome. So, um, it's appropriate. I realize we have a, a, a history teacher in the room from Harmony, the lovely Mrs. Strait. And she reminded us that today is Reformation Day. This is when Martin Luther, this guy who wrote this song, attached his 95 thesis just looking for a debate. He wasn't trying to start any trouble. He just wanted to get people looking at the truth and obeying it. Shame on him. But anyway, that's the story. And that was where it all began, right? And on All Saints Day. And uh, today we're going to look a little bit at that whole set. What was that? (laughs) I want to make sure I scratch where you're itching. Hard to talk about spiritual gifts, especially in the zone I'm in, which is about those that have a more supernatural flavor and speak to spiritual reality, and not address what Martin Luther is talking about. We have an enemy that wants to destroy us. That's the way it opens in the first verse. Though this world with devils fill, let me translate that into modern Christian language, demons filled, should threaten to undo us. So that's the background. And so with that in mind, I want to uh, kind of launch into this subject today, if I might, kind of set the tone for this. Um, And before I do, I would like us to join together and ask the Holy Spirit to help us because I don't know about you, I need help. Maybe you don't need any help, but I need a lot of help. So let's pray. First thing, God, that I want to do today is um, offer this teaching out of your word to you as an offering. Some people may choose to feed on it. Some may not be able to hear it. But I am asking that you would be pleased and you would help me to speak for you, for who am I or any one of us that we should ever speak for you, except for your grace. And thank you that I don't have to ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, the Lord of the armies of heaven, from age to age the same. He must and has won the battle. What we don't often see is that there are still territories, even though the armistice has been signed, that need to be liberated because they're still under bondage. And some of those islands are in this room. Would you help us today? Cast myself upon your mercy, ask that you would quicken your gifting, and uh, Lord, especially as we were praying last night, that you would subdue our adversary who has a foothold In this assembly, we need him destroyed. And we need your spirit liberated among us. Help us. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. So I stole my title. Let me put it on on the screen. War on the Saints. So as always, I have a little asterisk because I'm a thief. And um, I stole the title from this classic work that results from the Welsh Revival. If you've studied any of that, 
Jesse Penn Lewis and the main preacher, Evan Roberts, around the turn of the last, not this last millennium, the last century back, the 1900s, there was a great revival in Wales. And that revival manifested more of the more unusual gifts of the Spirit, if I may say. And so they also had more encounters that they took record of dealing with the enemy, war on the saints, because brothers and sisters, the day you signed up to become a Christian, you were inducted and you're at war. You may be trampled on and unconscious and don't realize it, but there's a war on, the war on the saints. And this is part of my primer on spiritual gifts. So my apologies to Jesse Penn Lewis. I'll probably reference her in just a minute. I want to tell you about my first, very first day on the job almost nine years ago at Harmony Baptist Church. May I do that? My very first day. I know you're all gripping your seats. I see your knuckles turning white. He's going to tell us some of those rotten stories that he keeps harping on. No. It's one that very few of you have heard. So I had reported for work. I showed up at the ministry house. Uh, Mr. Barry was there at the time. He was jabbering about something. We shot the bull for a minute, as people in ministry tend to do, and uh, had a little fun talking. And our lovely secretary, a, a very sweet-spirited gal, won't mention any names, Dar. I hope you're watching. And... Um, she was at the front desk, and as soon as I got in, I had to interrupt their conversation because she said, uh, I got a phone call this morning. Somebody wants to talk to you. I went, oh, fine. First day on the job. And uh, she said, this call came in this morning with a man who said he was in great distress. He had called a bunch of churches. He had gotten no answer. I'm guarding my ADD because I could go off on a whole commentary on that reality. Nobody home. That's the church today. Nobody home. Anyway, somebody was home at Harmony. Boy, if you won't listen to my wife, I can't help you anymore. I I don't know what else to say. So we did something right. We won't let it go to our head. That's my favorite line. So she said, yes, he said he's going to call back, and I told him when you might be in and blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay, fine. And as I'm talking with Kevin and R, and we're having a conversation, all of a sudden there's a knock on the door, and the Holy Spirit said, there he is. And I turned, and here was this brother who came in. Not a, I don't know if he was yet. I don't think he was, because as he came in, the report he had told my secretary was, I need to get in touch with my higher power. So I said, come on in, and we went back into my office, and he had been trapped in the drug culture and stuff like that, and he was, he was in great distress, and he knew he was up against something unnatural. And so I said, well, I told him how to accept Christ as his Savior and Lord. By the way, Jesus is Savior and Lord, Amen. just not your ticket to heaven. He's Savior and Lord, and as I began to pray with him, the struggle became so intense, all of a sudden he went, and more. I can't do it as long as he did. I ran out of breath. That's what I'm talking about, right there. We rebuked the enemy. He was freed to pray and accept Christ, started coming to church with his family. When he left, I walked out and passed my secretary's desk, who was like this. She remembers. I said, what's the matter? (laughs) Was that what I think it is or was? Yeah, what do you think it was? Was that a demon? Yes, it was. I'm going to read a passage of scripture because we react to this kind of, oh, yeah, right here. Harmony Baptist Church, first day on the job. And by the way, that helped me suspect that I knew I was in the right place because I've had experience with that before. So here's a passage of scripture that is probably familiar to you in Revelation chapter 12. And there was war in heaven. 
Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. He must win the battle. And the great dragon was thrown down. Look at these words. The great What's going on here? The great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old, who is called the devil, the Hebrew, the Greek word is diabolos, slanderer. That should give us a hint. Slanderer and shatan from Hebrew. The enemy, the opponent, a foe who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser, got it? The accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before God day and night. What does he do? What does he do to you? Hello, McFly. And they overcame him. They overcame him. Not God. They overcame him. The brethren. Because of the blood of the lamb. Because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even unto death. Don't say amen too quickly. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. I love this. Let goods and kindred go. Let goods and kindred go. Let your idols go. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. So what? God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. I could take to preaching. There is a reality, an unseen world that even Christians have a hard time believing. You say you believe your Bible, but we're suspicious. Maybe we're nervous, you know. We talk to a sister who says, well, I know the devil was working on me, but I rebuked him and I got the victory. And we say to ourselves, isn't that quaint? Right? Come on. Or we're thinking, oh, we're going to get like Flip Wilson. Anybody old enough to remember? Oh, the devil made me do it. Remember him? Yeah. And we're not looking to pass off responsibility. We're looking to embrace reality. There is a spiritual reality. In fact, this is what I'm glad I brought it after all. This article the last few weeks... um, Getting ready for Halloween, of course. All-female ghost hunting group explores the Hudson Valley. There is a belief in the supernatural. Now think, do the math on this. If ghosts, whatever they are, which they don't exist, by the way, everybody who's sitting here going, what? There's something called a demon that will make believe he's a ghost. He knows all about your grandmother and can tell you all his secrets. He was around when you weren't even born yet. It all depends on whether you believe what the book says about spiritual reality. But if there is such a thing, isn't there also another part of the spiritual world? Couldn't possibly there be good ghosts and bad ghosts? (laughs) I mean, good spirits and bad spirits. Couldn't there be an ultimate supreme being behind all this? Enough said. I don't want to preach on the newspaper. But for the new believers in the early Roman Empire, it was so crystal clear what they were up against. I'm going to quote something from, and I, I've got, I got stories that could make some of your hair stand up, but uh, this appendix in the back of War on the Saints of the early church fathers, listen to this. Tertullian was giving a defense of the gospel, apology to the rulers of the Roman Empire. Let a person be brought before your tribunals who is plainly under demoniac... Yeah, that's easy for me to say. Demon possession. Demoniacal possession. There, I got it right. The wicked spirit, bidden to speak by a follower of Christ, will as readily make the truthful confession that he is a demon as elsewhere he has falsely asserted that he is a god. 
Or if you will, let there be produced one of the God-possessed. That's what they thought it was when you were demonized. You know, they thought you were prophesying and prophets would get into these um, ecstasies under the influence. It happens in voodoo, for example. Some of you from those backgrounds know what I'm talking about, right? Get one of those people. If they do not confess in the fear of lying to a Christian that they are demons, then there shed the blood of that most impudent follower of Christ. Did you hear that? So, if a demon-possessed person was brought in before you, and that demon doesn't cower in front of you, we kill you. How would you like that for church membership? I think we ought to write that into our bylaws. What do you think? Now, this, for us, we think, well, that was back then when they believed all that superstitious stuff. Oh, it still exists, friends. They're just in psychiatric hospitals and other places. I'm serious. I'm not mocking. I'm serious. It's a tragedy. And sometimes there's help available. Some things, not all things, can be motivated by the spirit world. So let me just read this one thing. It's the last, um, what's the word, apologetic that I want to give. I have quoted from this book numerous times, Dynamics of Spiritual Life and Evangelical Theology of Renewal, a very scholarly examination of the subject of revival in which salvation, acceptance in Christ, the gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's leading, and demonic warfare all become stark raving reality. When you wake up in the Spirit, these things become real. I don't know how else to put it. I have shared some of this before, and we were unable to hear it. You were unable. I'm just telling you what I have experienced. The awesome reality behind these symbols, he's talking about this very passage of Scripture in Revelation that we just read. The awesome reality behind these symbols is fairly simple to imagine credibly, although it is impossible to fully comprehend in detail. But there is a strange inability among modern Christians to take this information seriously and an uneasiness even among evangelicals about paying very much attention to it. I can't tell you how many times I've heard Christians say, oh, well, we don't talk about it. In fact, I know it's been said here because I've had people report to me. We had pastors in the past say, we don't talk about that in here. Don't talk about that. That? It's Bible. Where else are you going to talk about it? Not with your neighbor, unless you're really close. Anyway, I suggest that this, listen carefully to this. If you don't get anything else today, I hope you get this. I suggest that this reluctance is not because the subject is trivial, morbid, or dangerous, but because these forces have access to our minds. They are just as adept at blinding us to their presence as they are at concealing the gospel from the world. Hell is a conspiracy, and the first requirement of a conspiracy is that it remain underground, that I don't see it. Make sense? So sometimes we are getting the, I'm going to speak in my favorite vernacular, we're getting the snot kicked out of us. <laughs> and don't realize it ain't just you, pal. Right? So... Let me speak a little bit into this, if I may. On your note paper, you have three U's to fill in. U's, as in the letter U. The first one is the usual struggle. The usual struggle. People have spoken and taught on this. Anybody acquainted with C.S. Lewis, the screw tape letters? Classic. Don't need new books on the subject. Get one of those. It'll encourage you that the enemy is always working the angles to make you ineffective. I remember a great writer said he was a discipleship teacher, but he said, Satan is always happy to hold the ladder for any Christian who wants to climb up on the shelf for God. Did you put that together? He'll leave you alone. He'll help you. He'll hold the ladder and shove your butt up on the shelf. And unfortunately, lots of believers are stuck there. So let me bring this uh, opening that I just gave, which was kind of the more, 
I'm giving you a hint on the second you, more of an unusual manifestation, right? That's unusual. It doesn't happen every day. It doesn't happen every day. We'd be freaked out if it was happening every day, right? But it happens. But it's unusual. But let's talk about the usual. Bring it down a notch. More simple, low key. Most of the war is 90% of a battle going on in here. That's most of it is right here. And here's the reference we want to reprise. Chapter 12 of Revelation, verse 10, the second half of the verse. When it says B, that means the second half of the verse. First half or second. I only need the second half. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. He accuses us. I'm going to uh, read from a couple of uh, different classics. One is the Puritans. I hope you know that they have been really maligned because of Salem witch trials and things like that. The Puritans recognized that that was an aberration. That was the wingnut group. That was the part of the denomination they weren't happy with, some of that craziness. The Puritans really did have a handle on healthy spiritual living. This book called The Christian in Complete Armor by William Gurnall, this is just the first volume, talks about it so clearly. I've read this once or twice before, but let me just remind you of what he has to say. Whether you like it or not, you must go into the ring with Satan. I don't know if anybody remembers me sharing this. You must go into the ring with Satan. doesn't matter whether you like it. Now, you can climb on the shelf and then he'll leave you alone. He has not only a general malice against the army of saints, but a particular spite against every single child of God. Okay? You give Satan a dangerous advantage if you see his wrath and fury bent in general against the saints, the them, as opposed to yourself specifically. Satan hates me. Satan accuses me. Satan tempts me. Now, I'll admit, it's one of his angels, okay? You probably didn't get a personal visit from him. The boss, the big guy, no. But one of his minions, for sure, okay? Satan tempts me. Conversely, you lose much comfort when you fail to see the promises and providences of God as available for your own specific needs. God loves me. He pardons me. He takes care of me. And then this great little line, you should probably put it on the wall. You know, the water supply for the town will do you no personal good unless you have a pipe that carries it to your own house. In other words, get in on it. The things that God has available, the spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. A more modern, a little less scholarly work on the subject. By the way, if those of you who want to study anything along the line of Satan or demonology and have a healthy biblical take on it, Fred Dickerson, who was a Moody prof, uh, Moody Bible Institute professor, wrote Angels, Elect, and Evil, still one of the best ones I've ever seen on that subject. But this book by Neil Anderson, The Bondage Breaker, he's more of a practitioner. He's a guy that goes out and does what I've experienced in the past, where you minister to people who are under oppression and get them into freedom. And once in a while, the unusual things happen, you know, whoop. People getting slammed into my bookshelf and falling on the floor and strange noises and what have you, okay? I know, it's Halloween. If you can't take this on Halloween, I don't know when else you can take it. You know, I can't think of a better Sunday. All I'm concerned about is that the truth sinks in. Levels of bondage. This is, what's the word when it's not scientific data, it's... Kind of. There's another word for it. What was that? No, that's not the word I'm looking for. Anyway, when you've had more experience, you don't do a scientific study. It's just lots of... Anyway, forget it. Levels of bondage, he talks about. This is, this is uh, Dr. Neil Anderson. It's my observation that no more than 15% of the evangelical community is completely free of Satan's bondage. Okay, some of you just shut me down and said, I'm done listening. It's free country. I, have to, I happen to agree. I actually think it may be worse now. I don't know. Let me explain what I mean. 
It's my observation that no more than 15% of the evangelical Christian community is completely free of Satan's bondage. Completely. These are the people who are consistently living a spirit-filled life and bearing fruit. Oh, now that's a little more clear, right? Consistently living a spirit-filled life and bearing fruit. The other 85% are struggling along fruitlessly at one of at least three levels. I just want to talk about the first level mainly. Because this is the usual. It's not unusual. You have to stop thinking in terms of Satan and his angels or God's angels or what as being the weird, odd thing you never encounter. That's not true. It's all around us. I used to talk about if I could only get design spiritual glasses. Remember? Do you remember um, the, the Mormons? Who, who was the founder? The, um, Smith. He, he supposedly found spiritual glasses that when he put them on, it would help translate the golden plates. <laughs> Not. But anyway... But if we could just get the right kind of glasses that when you put them on would filter out all the visual and show us the spiritual. After our heart attacks, right? Then we would become clearly aware of what we're up against. Clearly aware. So here's what he says. First, a believer may lead a normal Christian life on the outside... Wait for it. With a steady, while wrestling with a steady barrage of sinful thoughts on the inside, lust, greed, envy, hatred, apathy. This person has virtually no devotional life. Prayer is a frustrating experience for him. He usually struggles with interpersonal relationships. Most Christians in this condition have no idea that they're in the middle of a spiritual conflict. They would not identify with the concept of hearing voices, but would readily admit to a problem-filled thought life. Instead of recognizing that their minds are being peppered by the fiery darts of the enemy, they think the problem is their own fault. Hello? Anybody? Anybody? Do I get a witness? Two people. All right. No, it's more than that. their minds are being peppered by the fiery darts of the enemy. They think the problem is their own fault. If those foul thoughts are mine, what kind of a person am I, they wonder. And so they end up condemning themselves. Oh, I connect to that one. While the enemy continues his attack unchecked, I see about, are you ready for this, 65% of all Christians living at this level of spiritual conflict. Okay. We need help. The spirit and the gifts are ours. God has sent us help. I think I have a screw, still have a definition from uh, what's his name? Or maybe the next verse. A spirit given ability for Christian service. That's what God has given all of us something that we can utilize. Then we have the verse out of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 12, verse 8. I'm just taking some highlights. One is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, which is an intuitive awareness of something for the specific situation where a person is struggling and and the Holy Spirit brings comfort and edification, maybe the gift of exhortation, or a word that says, this is a lie, you need to reject it. I can't tell you how many times I've been up against something and... A sister or brother, and most of them have been sisters who have ministered to me, has said, you're listening to Emmy, and here's what it is. And they named exactly what I was feeling that I couldn't, I couldn't put my, what is it? And they named it. This is the spirit of shame. Stand against it. Well, by golly, I will. And I rebuked it, and it was done. Brothers and sisters, that is your portion. Not mine only. It's for all of us. So, I'll never forget, uh, my wife and I were just talking about this recently. We we went to seminary in Denver, and she got a job, high-paying job, to get us through, working in a uh, Christian daycare. That that was a little sarcasm there, high-paying, you know. We all know how that is. Anyway, so, uh, so I had to go to one of their programs, you know, their evening programs. And the program went on. 
And, um, and I watched the music director. Something just wasn't right. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I said to my wife, you stay away from that guy. I don't want you one foot near him ever. Oh, honey, you're just being so critical, and it's your prophetic rotten nature coming out, you know? <laughs> that, 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 that's not literally what she said, but it was pretty close. And, uh, you know, oh, honey, until two or three weeks later or a month later, he ran off with the church secretary or somebody. Some of us have that gift of discernment. We know there's something. I see that nodding head. And God's given that to us for our safety. Not just us personally, for the church's safety. But if you keep this stuff buried, you're going to die. As a church, you're going to die. I'm telling you. Bring it forward. Use it for the glory of God. There's all kinds of tools available. Remember I've shared um, the warfare prayer by... And uh, you can get it off the web. You don't even have to come to me. Warfare Prayer by um, Matthews. Dr. Victor Matthews, isn't it? It's from The Adversary. He, he made a copy of it. Uh, the Adversary by um, Bubeck. Mark Bubeck. Excellent book full of doctrinal praying. That's a weapon. You take the truth of the word. How did they overcome the, the enemy? What did it say? The word of their testimony. They know they're saved and will say it. Jesus is Lord, no question. Number two, the blood of the Lamb. I don't have any power. The blood has defeated the enemy. And thirdly, I'm going to stop loving my life so much. Mm. Oh, I'll come back to that. I'm not done preaching yet. So, but here's a sample of warfare praying. By faith and independence upon you, Lord, I put... Now, if you pray like this, you're up against the enemy. This will give you spiritual muscles. And I used to tell people when they would come for counseling, all right, here's what I want you to do first. I think you're up against a bondage, okay? That doesn't mean you're weird. Doesn't mean you have cooties. See, that's what we're... Oh, I don't want to admit. Why? If it's the enemy, that's good news to me. That's somebody I can boot out. I can't boot myself out. I'm glad you're chuckling. By faith and independence upon you, Lord, I put off the old man. I stand into the victory of the crucifixion where the Lord Jesus provided cleansing from the old nature. I put on the new man and stand into all the victory of the resurrection and the provision he's made for me there to live above sin. To live above sin. What? Yes. Therefore, in this day, I put off the old nature with its selfishness. I put on the new nature with its love. I put off the old nature with its fear. I put on the new nature with its courage. I put off the old nature with its weakness. I put on the new nature with its strength. I put off today the old nature with all its deceitful lusts. And I put on the new nature with its righteousness and purity. Can you imagine praying like that? I mean, it's like I'm making a choice and I'm naming the garbage that I'm resisting and embracing what is the fruit of the Spirit? By choice. God has given us a will that we need to exercise. Oh, there's one little more. I can't pass it up. I do in every way stand into the victory of the ascension and glorification of the Son of God. Listen to this. Where all principalities and powers were made subject to him. And I claim, by the way, principalities and powers, that's the demonic powers. That's the generals and sergeants and military leaders in the unseen realm. The enemy. They're not all the same. Read your New Testament. You'll see they're different. They were made subject to Christ. And I claim my place in Christ, victorious with him, over all the enemies of my soul. I stand in Christ against my enemy. And here's the ticket, laddies. Here it is. Blessed Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me. Come into my life, break down every idol, and cast out every foe. Let good and kindred go. This mortal life also, right? They overcame him. They loved not their lives even unto death. It doesn't mean you have to be physically martyred. But every one of us, if we're going to win the victory in our spiritual life, you've got to get spiritually martyred. Got to make up your mind. I'm dead. I'm dead. I already settled it. 
Warfare prayer. Words of wisdom and knowledge help me know and give me insight. The gift of discernment is a necessary gift. I got one more little thing I want to say about this, and I'm going to ask uh, Pam if she would come up. Oh, you, you don't want to come up? No, she wants me to come to her. Some of you know, is this on? There we go. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my nose to make sure I don't make a mistake, right? Because she's, she's going to pound me if I make a mistake. So, huh? No extra quest. Okay, so Pam, Pam and I prayed about something a while back. Do you want to say what it was? Well, I went to you because I felt like I was stuck and I wasn't going anywhere in my faith. And um, Well, can I interrupt for one second? Yeah. I, ain't, I'm terrible, I, ain't I? Anybody else ever feel stuck in your faith and you weren't going anywhere? Okay, are you listening? Next. So, um, I don't know how many of you know, but I'm a recovering alcoholic, and um, I couldn't get rid of the shame that I felt with my children growing up with an alcoholic mother. Yeah. Um, so I went to you to pray, and we prayed, and you said um, that I had the bondage of false guilt. And after we finished praying, a couple minutes went by, and then I just felt free. It was like it was totally lifted from me. And is it still totally lifted? Yeah. Totally lifted. Money back guarantee, brothers and sisters. Thank you. Now, the only reason I shared that is not because I'm trying to drum up business. Because I'm not. I'm going in the other direction, as you know. Spiritual arrogance would say, well, I don't have a problem like that. I wasn't an alcoholic. Oh, gee, isn't that nice? So obviously you're in better shape. But how simple and subtle was this thing, right? Being beat up continually with a sense of shame and guilt. I'm not good. Anybody know? I'm not good enough. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. It's the liar, the accuser of the breath. Get over yourself, brothers and sisters. You're right. You're not good enough. And neither am I. Left to ourselves, we're a mess. The best thing you can ever do is get in touch with your own depravity as it really is. Best thing you'll ever do. But God says, I stamp the image of Christ on you. You're accepted in the beloved. I brought these as... uh, their samples up on the front. This is from that same guy, Neil Anderson, who I am in Christ and my identity in Christ. And he compares Satan's lie and God's truth. Understanding your identity in Christ is absolutely essential for your success in living a victorious Christian life. You're a sinner only. No, I'm a saint declared righteous by God. Yes, I still sin. I'm a blunderer, right? I've got that fallen name. I get it. Your identity comes from what you do, what you've done, your performance. Uh Uh-oh. That's not going to work for you. Your identity comes from what God has already done for you and what he says is who you are. That's what matters. Your behavior tells you what you believe about yourself. No, your belief, your belief about yourself determines your behavior. Do you believe that you're accepted in the beloved? And then on the other side, it's a whole list of how I am accepted. I'm God's child. I'm Christ's friends. I've been justified. I'm secure. I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm significant. There's no little peeps. It's all on here, friends, and they're going quickly. So bring your dollars and get... No, they're free. Right up here, okay? Get one if you've never seen it. Put it in your Bible. Read through it during devotions, whatever it might happen to be that's helpful to you. So the reason I had Pam share is something as simple as that is jamming up her spiritual progress. And it doesn't have to win. And I, what the, the layers of, I don't know whether it's our fear or our apathy, apathy but it's like eh, I, I, the devil I know is better than the one I don't know. You've heard that, right? So I'll just live with this junk, stalled in boredom and non-fruitful living, etc. Am I preaching? Yes, I am, okay? I am. Well, I will until the children's ministry says I better stop or I have to go home with that lady. And oh, my goodness, you know, she already told me. So there you go. So that's the usual. Oh, let me read one more thing from both Gurnall and Loveless, and then I can bury this subject, okay? Uh, This part of it. I I love this little thing. 
I said about whether you like it or not, you know, you got to go into the ring with Satan. And what does he do primarily? He accuses the brethren. He tells you how useless and powerless and worthless you are. Well, don't buy it. On the other hand, don't think you're all that in a bag of chips. I've told you that 20 times, right? So here, listen to this from William Gurnall. I'm staying inside the video, right? I'm good, thank you. My boss man back there, all right. Satan exaggerates the saints' sins. His aim is to discredit not the sins, but the saints. His chief tactic is to deliver his accusations as if they are an act of the Holy Spirit. A whole, a whole subject of demonology is learning that Satan likes to imitate God. So therefore, it shouldn't be surprising that he brings false guilt rather than true guilt. shouldn't be surprising that he gives false gifts to the church sometimes rather than true gifts. And so we see trouble and we dismiss the whole package, including God and his spirit, because the enemy was at work. Duh! He knows a charge from God's cannon wounds deeply. A real Christian, we're wounded when, when God says, you blew that. <gasps> right? Therefore, when he accuses a conscientious Christian, he forges God's name on the missile before he fires it. <laughs> Try this test. If such rebukes contradict any prior work of the Spirit in your soul, like being free from false guilt or shame, they are Satan's and not the Spirit's. They are Satan's and not the Spirit. There's one more thing I want to read. It's the same idea that comes from this um, book that I already uh, mentioned, Dynamics of Spiritual Life by Loveless. He's talking about the Reformation that one of the uh, Catholic uh, scholars, Ignatius, had rules for dealing with the enemy. And they were translated into Puritan pastoral kale. Now, remember, they're the good guys, so they took the good stuff. Okay, I just want to be clear. Some of you here are Catholic and immediately you have this reaction. Just stop it. Okay. Here's what they said. Conviction of sin wrought by the Holy Spirit always involves a sense of release and joy along with the sorrow. Anybody experience it? All of a sudden, you start bawling. You realize you're convicted. You see what you've done from God's perspective for the first time, and you're crying. And at the same time, you feel the love of God. You feel the forgiveness and the acceptance. All right. So it always involves a sense of release and joy along with its sorrow, while the satanic counterfeit of this convicting process leads to despair, depression, Condemnation. Number two, genuine illumination by the Holy Spirit leaves residual graces in the life, while the counterfeit peace and illumination of the devil leads gradually to darkness and security in sin. Did you follow that? In other words, when I get false peace, which I've seen plenty, of, oh, I've prayed about that, I'm fine. You're going further down the tubes, friend, into more darkness, more uselessness, more stuckness. That's a, that's a theological word, stuckness. It's very practical, right? So the Holy Spirit breathes life into you when you're convicted. The devil is determined to tear you down. Everybody with me on that? And that means every one of his angels want to do the same exact thing. So that's the usual struggle. Let's talk about the unusual struggle. And guess what? I'm saving my last point, which is the ultimate struggle. Everybody wants to hear the ultimate struggle. Not today. Anyway, the unusual struggle is when it does get weird. We have a picture. Anybody remember Lord of the Rings? Great scene where Theoden King is under the influence of Saruman. For those who haven't seen it, it's a great picture of a deliverance. It's a great picture. And, and Theoden is like this senile, glazed over... <laughs> Now I'm going to really be edifying. That's kind of what we look like spiritually when we're under it. <laughs> Don't you want to fight? <laughs> Worm tongue comes, Satan, you know. No, these people are making trouble. Don't listen. Okay, I'm not going to listen. Okay. But by the authority of Gandalf, no, by the authority of the Lord, 
I release you, if you remember the scene. And he eventually, there's a fight. There's a whole subject there that we could talk about, but we don't have time. That he releases him from the bondage. So, there, is these, there are these unusual struggles. Somebody this morning, I won't mention any names, Joe, uh, in our worship prayer time mentioned The Chosen. If you've seen the movie The Chosen, where eventually Mary Magdalene gets delivered, which was kind of anticlimactic to me, but the part where Nicodemus tried to challenge the demons, remember that? That is the real McCoy, brothers and sisters. That was so well done, because that's exactly what I've seen. You have no power here. Get out, you little weenie. (laughs) But yes, if we're in Christ, we do have authority. See, I know it almost sounds like I'm talking science fiction. I'm telling you, the unseen realm is real, active, and has our grip on our butts. Let me show you some of the other gifts that God has given us to help us. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. To another, the distinguishing of spirits. Notice some of these are plural. Gifts of healing. There's different kinds of healing. There's spiritual. There's emotional. There's physical. And I can't control when they come. Sometimes those are gifts that show up for a one-time Freedom, deliverance thing that happens. Other people have a constant ministry of this, not 24-7. Any, any healers on TV where they just turn the spigot on? Bogus. I can't control that. The Spirit has to come on me and assure me. And we've talked about that a little bit, about calling for the elders, the prayer offered by faith, the prayer offered. That's a gift that's given to somebody to pray for a healing, and then it happens. And other times... It doesn't happen, and we have to trust God for whatever the trial is or whether we go to see Jesus to get well, ultimately. So they're plurals. People come to me and say, well, didn't you deliver that, like Pam's story here, didn't you deliver her from bondage? No, Jesus delivered her from bondage. Let me be perfectly clear. Remember Nixon, tricky dick? Be perfectly clear here. I didn't do it. Jesus does it. And there's distinctions in the scripture. It's not primitive, superstitious writing as has been accused about our Bible. Let me tell you something. Uh, Let me share something with you. Here's this verse in Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. It relates to the gifts of the Spirit. And the news about him went out to all Syria. They brought to him all who were ill, taken with various diseases and pains, including different gifts of healing, right? Demonized, epileptics, different Different. Paralytics. Different. He healed them. A little bit of medical insight there. It's not this, oh yeah, it's all devil. No. Different kinds of healing. His gifting of healing was unlimited. The spirit was given to him without limit. And so he is using all of those gifts to glorify God, right? Jesus served in the power of the spirit. So we have no excuses. You all get that, right? Oh, no, he was God. Mm-mm-mm-mm. He was God, make no mistake. But he did not use his trump card. Oh, that's a bad word. He did not use his, <laughs> he did not use his, his um, God credit card. You know what I'm saying? Only a few times in the New Testament is that manifested clearly. Otherwise, he was doing it by the power of the Spirit. So there's a distinguishing between those who are lunatic as the Greek word is, and demonizomai, as the Greek word is, and he therapeutized them, right? That's the Greek word. He therapized them. He cured them. And the gift of cures, the gifts of, gifts of healings are cures. Sometimes it moves in in an amazing way that you weren't expecting. I told a story a long time ago. I'm sure we've forgotten it, but when I was in Tucson, Arizona, there, we were dealing with a lot of people under occult oppression, And uh, so I had constant traffic. And I remember this dear lady came in. I could weep just thinking about it again. Whose son was so bad off in drug use and everything. He was literally living in a dumpster. Literally. She brought him into my office like I was going to wave the wand, you know, and solve it. Remember, it's got to be quickened by faith. 
God didn't choose to quicken it by faith. Sometimes I feel heavy about that, even here. How much hasn't been accomplished, I feel grief about it. And I, I apologize if I didn't press in hard enough in the world of prayer. I think we still have an awful lot to learn. So I'm sorry about that. But she came in with this kid. And you can imagine a mother's grief, right? We've been through some of this here with kids we've lost. In agony. And I looked at her and I couldn't help her. I couldn't even talk to her. The kid was like he was on another planet. I said, I don't know what to do for you, but I, I pray for you, and I'll, I'm going to recommend this book, and I'm asking you to go pray through these warfare prayers. And it was the book, The Adversary. And there's prayers for adopted children and prayers for you know, people who are away from God and unsaved or whatever, and you pray into this. I said, I don't know what else to do but coach you this way, so take this. And she went away. I didn't see her again. Two years later... Two years later, she comes through the office door with her son dressed and in his right mind. Dressed and in his right mind. Probably a flowing gift of healing granted to her. She wasn't around getting on TV, running a healing ministry. But God showed up and that stuck in my mind like a rivet driven into a steel beam. The spirit and the gifts are ours, brothers and sisters. And let me show you one verse just to encourage us at the end. It's found in 1 John, one of my favorite texts. The Son of God appeared for this very purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. He might loose, release, dissolve, annul, break, break down, destroy, put an end to, remove, unbind, untie the works of the devil. And we see all oh, those people that are messed up out there. Sure, they need help. Yes, they do. But until we get help, we're not going to help them. You can't give what you don't have. So it's time to start asking, Holy Spirit, free me up. Unloose the work of the enemy here. In the name of Jesus, now I'm preaching. And they overcame him, the very last verse. They overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even unto death. We're in a war, brothers and sisters. Stop acting like you're on an island enjoying the sun. Help us, O oh God. Lord Jesus, in your great name, thank you. That through him who with us sideth, the spirit and the gifts are ours. Release of your spirit in this place. Release the bondages that hold us back from fruitfulness and get glory that you deserve. Well, thank you, Father, for helping Harmony into the future here. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, amen. amen.